How's it going everyone? It's Kenneth here. Hope everyone's uh, doing okay. Seems like that bit of a cold snap we had last week has gone away and it's back to being really, really warm. Um, I spent a couple of hours on the allotment this morning with um, someone called Lydia, who's a friend of ours. And <clears throat> if you have watched any of the videos uh, I've been putting up on YouTube, you'll know that we're getting another allotment. And Lydia is uh, sort of coming in with us um, on the second allotment and eventually she'll pitch in on, on the first one as well. And uh, we're going to have um, all three or four of us working together to um, hopefully grow more vegetables as well as things like um, some flowers and fruit trees and fruit and things like that. So it's all really good. But we couldn't spend too much time down there this morning. It was really, really hot. Um, we got down sort of about 10 o'clock and before you know it, um, it was like blazing outside, just like the sun beating down. I could feel my neck getting burnt, my face getting burnt. So we sort of called it a day about one o'clock and um, yeah, uh, came home basically, just chilled out. Um, anyway, uh, today I want to talk about a topic that might be a bit controversial and <clears throat> um, I do think it's very important though. And if you've been reading any British media this week, you will know all about it. So, um, yeah, we'll get straight into it. Okay, so if you haven't been hiding under a rock for the last week or, you know, probably the last couple of weeks, actually, you would have been reading a lot of stuff online and in the newspapers about how bad Brexit is going to, how badly Brexit is going to, or possibly going to, um, affect the supply of food in the UK. So that's what I'd like to speak about today um, and my thoughts, thoughts on everything. I, before we start getting into it, I do want to say I don't want to make this topic about, you know, who voted in or who voted remain, who voted to leave. Um, that's a completely separate topic for a different sort of time. And I don't really want to get involved in the politics of what Brexit has done or what it could mean. So if, if you I'm are listening to this, it, don't this is sort of purely jump up in arms and stop getting really heavy about the whole situation. Podcast about um, you know, the things I speak about are just purely just my opinion, which means they might be right, they might be wrong. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So I just hope that you can listen to this and sort of take something from it. And hopefully it'll make you think a bit about the whole situation. And that's really why I wanted to make this podcast. It's just to sort of um, get people's creative juices flowing about the whole situation make your own opinions form your own ideas and um, just sort of bring it to the front of your mind now the thing that i found most interesting and um it's kind of been like this for the whole of the media coverage for brexit is that everything has been incredibly doom and gloom so i mean i've just opened up a few little uh, web web pages here and i've got a few articles and one of them here Brexit, what would a no deal mean for food and medicine? And it sort of talks about how much food we get in the UK from Europe and how food is stored and the limited amount of cold storage space we have in the UK and, and the fact that they're always sort of chock-a-block, um, you know, so there's not much margin for error. A, a lot of the fresh produce we get from Europe is sort of shipped in overnight um, or by truck or by road. None of it comes by air. Um, and so it comes 
through Dover mainly, and I think there's another place they mentioned, and gets delivered to distribution centers, and then goes to all the various supermarkets all around the country. And the main thing on this article, it, it talks about the fact that if there's any holdups at Calais with trucks getting through to the UK or England because of Brexit and the fact that we might not have a deal by March next year, um, it's going to cause serious havoc on that fresh food because it basically needs to be delivered that night in order to get to um, the shelves in the supermarkets for people to buy them before they go off. I'll bring out a few other articles here. Let's take a look. Uh, this one got me the most. There we go. Brexit provides the perfect ingredients for a national food crisis. And the last one is a no deal Brexit survival guide. What food to stockpile? Now, these last two um, in particular, the, when I read the headlines, I was like, this is very much along the lines of, of trying to put fear into people. You know, getting people to stockpile food like it's the end of the world or, or they're an there's an apocalypse coming. And, you know, Brexit, Brexit provides the, the perfect ingredients for a national food crisis. These headlines are, are meant to draw the reader's attention, to, to get them to say, well, wow, this is interesting. Let me see what it says. And so I can un understand that point from sort of an editing point of view. But at the same time, if someone had moved here, let's say into England, and they, they hadn't heard of Brexit, which is would be pretty much crazy, um, that would freak them out. That would want to stop them from moving. It's like, well, if I can't feed myself and my family, what are we going to do? You know, there's going to be chaos. Um, if you had to put yourself in the position where you went into the supermarket to do your weekly shop or your monthly shop or whatever it is you do, and there was no tin food or fresh fruit and vegetables on the shelf or no meat that was coming from Europe, um, you know, that would be an incredibly scary situation to be in. So straight away, every single article that I've read on the subject has been on the negative side. And it's painted this picture of the UK being in a very, very um, dangerous position to run out of fresh food. So sort of straight off the bat, when I read this, the first thing that I think um, is that... I find it very, very difficult to believe that it will get to the point where there's going to be a shortage of food in this country. Um, first of all, we produce 60% of the food we eat in the UK, and that's, you know, a fair amount. And, you know, it's not to say that things could go wrong and there might be some issues in the beginning, but this blatant fear-mongering by the media is, is wrong. You know, it's... Obviously, there's cause for alarm. I think everyone's worried. And you, you can see that across the board, not just in food, but in um, in the stock markets, things are a bit uh, crazy at the moment. You know, the pound isn't that strong. Um, and a lot of that stems from the uncertainty of what's going to happen. And unfortunately, you know, it doesn't really seem like the politicians in this country have really done much to help, either because they just have no clue or... Um, no one really knows what to do. It seems like everyone's at the loggerheads, you know, trying to negotiate a deal, which almost reminds me of two kids fighting over a toy and both of them want it and they don't want to compromise. And I know that's kind of silly and the whole matter is a lot more complicated than probably most people understand. We don't know what's going on behind these doors in the negotiating. I don't think the, the general person walking on the street has a huge, huge understanding of the politics behind this um, simply because we've never had to come up with this before we've never had to deal with this sort of situation 
but in my head I, I find it very difficult to believe that the worst is going to come from it maybe I'm just being overly positive but <clears throat> imagine the absolute chaos that would ensue if there was no food it you know it all it takes is a couple of inches of snow and you can walk into the supermarkets and there's no bread and milk people freak out so maybe you know it's a bit of sort of human nature to worry and be prepared which is a good thing but I don't think the government would let it get to the point where everyone doesn't have food on their plates. And, you know, I've read a few other articles pertaining to Brexit and the ones that stood out the most to me were, um, I think it was, was it the Bank of England and and a few other sort of business orientated sort of institutions like the, um, um, what was it? Uh, you know, stock markets and things like that. All these big companies and financial institutions and banks are, are, preparing themselves for everything. They're putting um, plans in place to try and negate any bad um, effect that Brexit might have. And the fact is no one really knows what's going to happen. You know, things might get really bad, but, you know, maybe um, it's been blown out of proportion by the media and it's not going to be as bad as everyone thinks it's going to be. Now, if, if anyone's listening to this will remember the whole Y2K bug from, you know, uh, the year 2000. I was really, really young then, so I don't remember, you know, a lot about it, but I was old enough to have a recollection now of what was going on. And, you know, people were freaking out. They were worried that, you know, everything was going to crash and everything's going to stop and technology was just going to blow up. And of course, that didn't happen. And, you know, a lot of that fear was perpetuated by the media and perpetuated by people not really knowing the answer. And I know this isn't quite the exact same situation, but the way everything or everyone is reacting reminds me of that. Um, they, they are blowing it out of proportion. And what I don't understand and what I think, you know, I might be 100% wrong on this, but my feelings and thoughts and opinions on this is instead of everyone completely freaking out and losing their shit, why aren't they just planning? Why aren't they preparing themselves? Why aren't they trying to find opportunities in what may be quite bad or may not be that bad and figure out ways to to make the whole thing easier for themselves? Now, I don't expect, you know, you can't expect the government to go and just make everyone's lives easier. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I just think that, you know, you and me and the average person walking on the street might be able to make... um make a difference and, and find opportunities to think, well, okay, maybe there's going to be a bit of an issue with certain fruits and vegetables in the beginning, but, you know, Europe's got all this vegetables to sell to the UK. I highly doubt they're going to want to stop doing that because where else are they going to sell them? It's not like the rest of Europe are going to be like, okay, guys, don't worry, we'll just buy the rest of your stuff. That's not going to work like that. There's only so much every other country in the EU will be able to buy from the people that are selling their vegetables. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain a lot of our stuff comes from Spa, uh, France, um, Spain, Italy, um, and those sort of places, and probably a bit from Greece or some of the warmer climates. But they still need to sell their vegetables. And unless they've got deals with other countries, you know, they're going to find it really difficult to, to make money from them. So straight away, I, I, that, that's part of the reason why I don't think it's going to be so bad. When I talk about people trying to find opportunities, you know, you could think, well, what sort of opportunities would there be in this, what a lot of people are calling a a bit of a catastrophe? And again, I'm going to use some little metaphor, but you've got to think in the recession, the big, you know, that we've had in 2008, a lot of people suffered, a lot of businesses closed down, a lot of businesses went bust. 
um, a lot of people lost their jobs and, and couldn't find jobs for a long time. It, it ruined a lot of people's lives. But don't kid yourself when you think that only bad came from that, because I can tell you something right now. A lot of people made a huge amount of money when that happened. They saw what happened. They saw opportunities, took them and made a lot of money from it. Now, I don't want to say that, oh, people weren't clever enough to see opportunities, but I think... Um, if you can just sit back and remove yourself from the whole situation and, and say, well, what could I do? What's going on? What what are the media and the government saying um, are, are the problems with this whole situation? And is there a way to get around it? Now, for me, the most obvious one, and this is going to come back to, to vegetables and food, is for people to say, well, maybe we should start growing our own food. Now, we don't have to grow a lot, but if you can grow some quick growing crops, some, some basic varieties in your own garden, in a pot, there's an opportunity right there. You've taken it and, and you've made a difference to your life, your family's life and, you know, whoever. Um, you might not have a big garden, but if you've got a little balcony, you can grow things like radish and lettuce and chard and spinach in a in a trough or in a pot. And that's not going to feed your whole family, but it might make a small difference. So, you know, you might think, oh, Kenneth, that's such a silly, uh, silly idea or silly example because food takes long to grow and, and how are we going to... How are we going to make a difference just by doing that? And what I'd say straight away is if you can't take a bad situation and do any small thing to make it just a bit better, you're being really negative. Um, it's all these small differences that you can make yourself that will ultimately be beneficial for you in the long run. You know, every single small thing you do makes a difference. Everyone's freaking out about food coming from Spain and, and what our farmers are going to do here. But I don't understand, um, you know, and this might be very naive, but why can't the whole government see that as a massive opportunity to, for farming in the UK? You know, we've got a, a, not a very big country, but we've got a lot of green space. And we've got a lot of farmland. And, you know, I, I drive I drive quite a long distance to work every day and I drive between a, a lot of farms. And, you know, most of the stuff that gets grown that I see are commodity crops. And when I say commodity crops, I think, you know, I'm speaking about things like corn, hay, wheat, you know, um, rapeseed, all that kind of stuff. And that doesn't feed people, but it gets used for either feeding animals or for, you know, producing stuff like rapeseed oil, uh, you know, wheat for bread and all that kind of stuff and flour. And, you know, that that's one thing. And obviously that kind of stuff's important, but... But if farmers in the UK, and again, this might not be realistic, and I'm not a, a massive expert in this, you know, I'd have to really speak to someone that knew the agricultural industry loads more than I do, because I'm just an outside observer giving my thoughts and opinions. But, you know, may, maybe this is an opportunity to change the face of farming in the UK. Now, farming has become so industrialized, you know, um, for, for tens of years now, that the amount of people working in agriculture is dropping at a drastic rate. And there's a few reasons for that. First of all, it's technology um, and agriculture becoming sort of industrialized. Um, you know, you've got massive combine harvesters that can plow a whole field in a fraction of the time that, you know, people can and at a cheaper cost. Um, obviously, it costs a lot to buy a combine harvester, but over a long period of time, it pays for itself by, you know, negating the fact that, uh, that you need to have labor. But it might be a case where farmers can start specializing in stuff that we might have been importing from Europe. And I read an article that said that a lot of our lettuce comes from, from, from Europe, which I find insane because lettuce is um, a, 
relatively easy crop to grow. Um, it can be grown in our climate. So why are we bringing it in from the EU when we could be growing it here? Um, same with courgettes. A lot of courgettes come from, uh, I think it's from Spain, again from Europe. But it's it's one of those things that every single allotment holder grows every single year and they always bitch and moan about having too many of them. You're giving them away to friends and family. Your friends and family get sick of all the courgettes. You're like, what the hell am I going to do with all of my courgettes? You know, so we're importing food from different countries that we can grow in our own country. And for me, straight away, I, I see that as an opportunity. Why can't farmers start growing those things here? And I'm sure they do. I'm sure you can go into, into stores and buy British lettuce and British courgettes and British tomatoes and all that kind of thing. But it doesn't change the fact that a lot of our food, or like I said, 40% of the fresh fruit and vegetables we get come from Spain, uh, from, from Europe, not necessarily just Spain. You know, there are things like citrus fruit uh, that we do get from, from Europe. And, you know, I don't think our climate is quite suited to that. Again, you know, people do grow their own lemons and oranges and things like that, but not on a scale um, that would make it worth doing in this country compared to doing it in a warmer climate. There's this opportunity for people to diversify that could change the whole way we farm in England. Now, you know, that's going to take years and years and years. That kind of thing isn't going to happen overnight. But to get back to the point about less and less people farming, uh, another reason why people aren't farming anymore, because farmers don't make much much money. And I spoke about that in some previous po podcasts, which you can go back and listen to some of the first ones I did. But also farming doesn't look like a fun job to do, if you ask me, because in your head or in anyone's head, when you think of farmers, you literally like, maybe not all the time, but if you you see just fields and fields of wheat or hay or rapeseed or just something really boring and if i saw this big field and think well you know this is what i have to do for for my living i'm gonna go plant seed in a massive field wait for it to grow cut it down and sell it that's really boring but farming doesn't have to be that and in a lot of cases it isn't that you just have to look at people like charles dowding who's is that how you say it charles dowding Downing, I don't know, I can't remember. Um, he's a market gardener down in Somerset, I believe. And if you go take take a look at his website or his YouTube um, videos, he's got like a little market gardening and uh, a lot of market garden, and it's incredibly diverse. And there's so many things going on there. And I look at that and think, well, this guy's growing vegetables, so you know he's technically a farmer, although I suppose he called himself a market gardener. But it looks really fun. It's a a job uh, or a living that will be incredibly diverse. No day will be the same. Um, you'll have a lot more control of what you're doing. You don't need to have massive, massive machinery, but he can grow a, a, a pretty big variety of vegetables all year round because he's got really good experience in knowing what grows when, and he can sell that locally. Now, I'm not saying that a small farm is going to, you know, feed the whole town he lives in. That's impossible. You know, even if there's 20,000 people, there's no way a, a small one or two acre farm is going to feed nearly that, that amount of people. But maybe this Brexit thing with food might encourage young farmers to say, well, let's start farming here in the UK and make a difference, make a change, grow things differently and grow a bigger variety of stuff and just sell locally. Now, you know, we are always going to need industrial agriculture because at the volume of people we have in England and in the world, we need to be able to produce food in huge amounts relatively quickly and very inexpensively because if people can't eat and food's expensive there'll be chaos but small farms all over the world can change 
things in their community. They can get people excited about food. They can get people um, to learn more about food. Because again, I've spoken this about this before, not many people always know 100% um, where their food comes from or how the farming process works or you know how farmers grow certain kinds of food you know and i still get surprised sometimes i've seen like artichokes for example i knew they grew on this really big plant but for the first time today i actually saw them in like full bloom down at, at the allotment site and i was blown away at how they looked i've never seen them like that so yeah small farmers and small farms aren't going to change or aren't going to feed everyone but they can make positive change in their communities and that is a it comes with a whole bunch of other positive impacts um you know never mind trying to feed everyone but if, if if there were more small farms in the uk and more people interested in farming and more people growing their own food to me i see that as an opportunity um for the benefit of towns of society of just people in general and again i don't you know people are going to think kenneth you're living a pipe dream this is all just airy fairy stuff but i'm really trying to see the positive side to it and trying to think that there has to be an opportunity in all this crap and all this chaos that's going on i get really really sick of of seeing all this negative stuff on the news um about how brexit's going to ruin everything in this country i mean something else that that i think would be a massive opportunity are for for local farms now um you know i did say that we're, we're not small farms aren't going to feed feed everyone but there are enough local farms all over the uk to where people live that they can they can make a difference. So you know we've got a few here in Cheltenham. Like I said, they're not massive, but they grow some fruit and vegetables and whatever it may be here in, in in our town that we can go buy from them. So if you start supporting smaller farmers in your community, they can make a bit more money. They can invest in their farms and you know maybe produce more or change what they do or you know improve what they do. Um, so rather than having to go to the supermarket to, to rely on everything that's coming in from Europe, start buying stuff locally. Buy from people that are around the corner from you or 10 or 20 miles from you or wherever. You know, just, just find places where you can buy food locally. And that makes a big difference in your community too, you know. And that's just another little opportunity. Just if you step back and think, well, what would we do if, you know, there was a, a problem with food supply in this country? Well, we'll have to try find things locally. We might not be able to get them from the supermarket. Um, maybe we can grow our own food. Um, maybe a whole bunch of us can get together and, and grow stuff in our gardens. Maybe my family can get an allotment. Um, you know, we certainly haven't really bought much uh, vegetables, you know, this summer. We're still buying things because we, we don't have a huge variety on the, on the allotment, which will hopefully change next year. But we're buying a hell of a lot less. You know, we, we're inundated with tomatoes at the moment. Um, we've got courgettes coming out of our ears still, even though the courgette plants are sort of dying down. Um We've got spring onions every week. We've got beetroots, carrots. We've got chilies, uh, climbing beans, all these things. And, it, you know, we don't have to go buy the vegetables. That's more than enough, really, for us to have some vegetables during the week. And, in fact, it's probably better overall because we're sort of eating seasonally and it's stuff that we're growing right here. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically what I wanted this podcast to be about is... You know, there's all this doom and gloom going on, but I really think that there might be things out there that England can do and the government can do and things that they could start to put in place. Like I said, it's not going to just happen overnight. These changes take years and years and years to make. Um, but rather than jump into the Remain or Brexit camp and hate each other and hate anyone that disagrees with what you voted, 
people should work together you know when people do work together um from all sorts of walks of life no matter what they believe in if people work together they can make a big difference and um i really hope that whatever happens with this if it's absolute chaos next march when things uh, when, when brexit happens if there's a deal or no deal i really hope that um people can start seeing opportunities and, and take them and make their lives better for themselves because we can't always expect the government to make our lives better the government's full of shit as far as i'm concerned you know and well, not the government i should say politicians um and you know i mean you just have to see when the the last uh, government was in power with um cameron and what's the other guy's name nick clegg you know the, the lib dems were going on about sort of you know we're not going to raise university fees blah 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 and they did you know and that really pissed off a lot of people um and i just think that sometimes you can't always rely on these people at the top or people that are governing this country to make your life better it all comes down to us and so hopefully you know you guys have listened to this and you've probably hated me maybe you haven't maybe you thought i've given you some good ideas or maybe you think i've just spoken a lot of shit but i honestly think it um if we change the way we look at things and take ourselves away from that situation remove ourselves from the situation you can start seeing opportunities and you know you often find if you're trying to if you're if you're a creative person and you're a writer or a songwriter whatever it is and you have this block and you can't be creative or you're a painter and you get really frustrated um, or even if you're trying to write a term paper or you know a thesis or an essay if you get stuck the best thing to do sometimes is just remove yourself from that situation go for a walk have a nap leave it for a day whatever just rest and it's the same with this um i really really hope people can just remove themselves from all the crap that's out there and all the shit they see on the news and think well actually we can make a difference ourselves never mind what's happening in parliament or in brussels with people trying to negotiate what's happening with brexit and how that's going to affect our food but how can we take the situation into our own hands and make this better so you know that's my little rant about brexit i know it's a very you know not a massively in detailed um uh, podcast or episode but you know the only way we can ever solve problems or issues is to to overcome them by working together sitting down and finding opportunities and i, I hope that more and more people um will start looking at looking for them finding ways to make things better not just for you know um themselves but for their community and everyone else around them so that is it for today everyone i hope that all made sense i kind of rambled on a huge amount and i got lost in my, my you know my train of thought was all over the place but it's something i wanted to get off my chest and something that um i've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of weeks with all these articles out there so you know i hope you found some value in this and i hope um it sort of made you think about things in a different way um hopefully you don't hate me too much um for going off a bit politically on, on a subject that's quite sensitive with a lot of people you know i certainly know um you know just by seeing on social media the whole subject with brexit is incredibly polarized you know there are people that are like oh the government's you know um oh we need our country back you know these foreigners have stolen all our jobs blah 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 and then there's other people that are like oh you know we need everyone to work together and all this kind of stuff but you know this podcast wasn't meant to be about that i'm not trying to anger one side of the camp or you know make the brexiters hate me or the leavers hate me or the remainers hate me sorry but it, it more of a, an open discussion to talk about what i think is you know it's an important issue um so i think that's it really i hope you enjoyed this podcast um 
it would be great if you could uh, leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. Um, and if you could subscribe to the podcast, I'm going to try to do them a lot more um, regu- regularly um, because I've really enjoyed doing them. And at the moment, I'm busy looking for people to um, do the podcast with because I'm pretty sure you guys don't always want to listen to my ramblings on. And um, it was definitely really fun doing the podcast a couple of weeks ago with Matt and Katie. So that's it. I hope everyone has a good weekend or good week or whenever it is you're listening to this. I will see you or hear you or talk to you on the next episode. See you later.